Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Thus ends our reading of God's inerrant word. May all who hear it fall under the authority of its truth. It wasn't until I was 17 that I became a Christian. And by that time, I was just about ready to leave home and head off to college. In many ways, I was fortunate to have found a solid Bible-believing church early on in my freshman year. To be honest, I didn't find them, but they found me. Being a freshman at the University of Michigan, I could have easily drifted from my young faith if it weren't for the faithful men and women of New Life Church. God used these people to to mold me into the man that I am today. And the only reason that they could do this was because they taught what was in accord with sound doctrine. Now, don't get me wrong, New Life wasn't a perfect church. Just like any other church you'll go to, they had their flaws. Yet they did not err when it came to the major beliefs of the Christian faith. And because they stayed true to God's word, they helped me, along with many other university students, to be formed into godly men and women. And for that, I am grateful. Now, the the last time I preached, we covered Titus 1, verses 10 through 16. And there, Paul instructed Titus to silence false teachers that had infiltrated the church on Crete. These false teachers were from the circumcision group, also known as the Judaizers. They were people who taught a false gospel. These men didn't believe that faith in Christ's substitutionary death on the cross was enough for salvation, but a person must also become obedient to the Jewish laws and customs to enter into the kingdom. Such teaching was dividing the church and disrupting whole households. And because of that, it was affecting the witness of the church as well. You see, not only were the traditions of these Judaizers not biblical, but they, but they were viewed by those on Crete as disruptive to their culture as well. Such practices hurt evangelistic efforts of the church on Crete. Therefore, Titus was to silence these rebellious people. But silencing wasn't enough. For in our verse for today, Paul charged Titus with this command. Titus 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Two weeks ago, I left you with four questions to ask when you are taking in someone's teaching. The questions were these. One, where does the teaching originate? Two, is the teaching consistent with the whole of the Bible? Three, Is the teaching in line with the triune God? And four, is the teaching in line with the gospel? Then last week, we had our pastor exchange week. 
And Pastor John Gruss taught you from Matthew 15, verses 1 through 9. Now, I got to listen to John's sermon online, and I, I thought he did a good job. But, but how many of you asked those four questions as you listened to John's message? Did what he say come from the Bible? Or was it from some other source? Did you go home afterwards and look up the verses he preached from, making sure that he wasn't just spinning some yarn? Did what he communicate, did it agree with the Trinitarian nature of our God? Did his lesson agree with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Of course, you, you shouldn't just use these questions when we have a guest preacher. I am not exempt from this same scrutiny. You must apply these same questions when you listen to me preach as well. On that note, I want, I want to use this week and next to tease out these four questions a bit more in order to help you think about these things in a deeper manner. This week, we'll look at questions one and two. These two questions deal with what is known as source errors, for they challenge the source of a man's teaching. Next week, we'll look at questions three and four, and those two questions deal with theological errors, for they challenge the theology of a man's teaching. But before we get into these questions, I thought it would be good to lay forth some definitions first. What is sound doctrine? First, the word doctrine. Often this, this term gets thrown out there without much explanation. I'm pretty sure that I've done this. Probably the thing that comes to most people's minds when they hear the word doctrine is, is a list of beliefs, which isn't too far off from the truth. In the Greek, the word is didaskalia, which means instruction or teaching. So doctrine is just a, a fancy way of saying instruction. And when speaking of Christian instruction, we are mainly speaking of both belief and practice. So doctrine can speak to both what you should believe and how you should behave. And Paul here has both things in mind. For, for in the following sections, Paul addresses each accordingly. In verses 2 through 10, he, he focuses on behavior, while in verses 11 through 15, he speaks to correct belief. The other word we need to define is sound. Here, Paul uses the, the Greek word, hugiainuse. And that's pretty tough to say. Um, but what it means, it means to be healthy or, or free from sickness. It, it gets translated as sound in our, in our English off of the phrase to be in sound health. So in essence, what Paul is communicating to Titus is that he must teach what is in accord with healthy instruction. Which leads us back to our four questions. Let's look again at the first one. Where does the teaching originate? Now, why does origin matter? Is where a teaching comes from really that much of a concern? We don't do this with other subject matters. Take, for instance, math. 
there are a variety of publishers that, that put out math curriculum. There's Saxon, there's Singapore, and many others to choose from. My, my wife can attest to this. Essentially, they're, they're all teaching the same thing, right? Yet even in a discipline such as math, are, are we not choosy as well? There's some curriculum that are better than others. And the more advanced you get in a certain subject, books put out by experts in their fields are worth their weight in gold. For, for these people have become the authorities on the subject. Authority is a real issue here. What is it that I say every Sunday during our greeting? We believe that God has spoken to us through his son and through his word. So we view the Bible as our ultimate source of authority. This is based off of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which state, All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathed. Brothers, sisters, there, there is no higher authority than God himself. False teachers will claim to speak for God. Yet if the source of their teaching comes from something other than God, then it does not hold any authority. When it comes to the, to the Christian faith, you want to make sure that what you are being taught comes from God and not from man. The only way that you can know for certain that a teaching is from God is if it originates in his word. In my, my last sermon, I used the examples of Muslims and Mormons. Uh, both of these groups, they go outside of Scripture for their doctrine. However, Islam and the, the Latter-day Saints, they're, they're both low-hanging fruit, and it's easy to see their flaws. Yet there are other forms of the same error that are more subtle in nature, and they have infiltrated churches everywhere. I want to lay forth three examples for you. The first of which is the elevation of science and reason over and above Scripture. A common example of this would be the denial of a literal Adam and Eve. These people will claim that evolution is the origin of man. And so they will, they will interpret Genesis 1 through 3 as a parable instead of an actual historical event. And what they have essentially done is they have placed science above Scripture. So to answer the question, where does, the, where does their teaching originate? It originates in science and not in the Bible. A second example is when, when culture is elevated above God's word. Uh, a good example of this would be the, the current trend to redefine gender. And there are Christian leaders out there who, who want to jump on board this, mo this movement. But to do so, they, they have to reshape the meaning of the words in the Bible. 
Again, their, their ultimate authority is it's not Scripture, but the culture of their day. And finally, and one that is probably most common, is the elevation of experience. Here, a, a false teacher will rely on, on things such as dreams or, or visions or the emotions that they feel. They will say things like, I felt that God was leading me to speak this. Or, God spoke to me in a dream. Or, the Lord came to me and said. Here, we have to be careful for whether it is a dream or a vision or just some feeling deep within, the, those things are subjective and, and, cannot be, and we cannot be certain of their source. This is why the Apostle John warns us in 1 John 4, verse 1. It says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. He tells us to test the spirits. A good Bible teacher will always ground what they say in God's word. Which brings us to the second question. Is the teaching consistent with the whole of the Bible? Why does this matter? Because the word of God can be twisted for evil purposes. Paul warned the, the church in Ephesus of this very thing in, in Acts chapter 20, which Ted read earlier. Look again at verses 28 through 31. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I, I never stopped warning you, warning each of you night and day with tears. How do these wolves devour God's flock? By distorting the truth. They, they manipulate God's word in order to teach their own message and not God's. They learned this from their master. This is exactly what Satan did when tempting Jesus in the wilderness. Look at Matthew 4 verses 5 and 6. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. <clears throat> Do you see how the devil speaks? He says, for it is written. He is quoting scripture. Look at Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. 
They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you notice what was different there? I have it highlighted on the screen for you. What, what Satan said what, and what was written was, was practically the same thing, yet one phrase was left out. To guard you in all your ways. Now why would Satan leave that part out? Satan is the original twister of God's word. And here he, he just takes out a small porch portion of the text and by doing so, reverses the, the original in, intent of this passage. Instead of it being a poetic exhortation to trust God in everyday life, Satan turns these words into a test to, to see if God is faithful. In, in essence, the, the devil left out that portion of God's word trying to convince Jesus to sin. This is why it is so important for you to know God's word well. Without a well-rounded knowledge of scripture, it is so easy to be duped. When my family and I had left New Life Church and moved to Thailand, we had left more than just a church family. We had left a, a hedge of protection that was around us. No longer were we under the, the sound teaching of godly men. And instead, we were left to fend for ourselves. At first, this was very difficult. While there were, there were a number of missionaries that we became friends with, uh, they, they all had different theological backgrounds. And this presented us with a, a big challenge, both in a positive and a negative sense. It was helpful in that I, I myself had blind spots in my theology. Like I said, New Life, it wasn't a perfect place. Many of my assumptions were tested, and I had to think deeper and study Scripture more. Yet, some of these missionaries carried with them some heretical ideas, and they were very persuasive in their arguments using scripture to, to back up their claims. And I almost got sucked in. I began reading books by emergent Christians, men like Rob Bell and Brian McLaren, men who deny that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins, appeasing God's wrath, a doctrine which is at the heart of the gospel. And yet, if you read their books, they're quoting the Bible. And their arguments, they're, they're so convincing. Fortunately, God rescued me from such lies. And he did it by using the whole of his word. I'll share more of that story next week. But, but the, point, the point is, it's not enough to say for it is written. I mean, Satan said that. A man's teaching must be in agreement with all of God's word. 
This is why I'm such a proponent of expository preaching through whole books of the Bible. Let me quickly define for you what, what I mean by expository preaching. Expository preaching is preaching that expounds on the meaning of the text. In other words, the text drives the message and not the other way around. Let me share with you four reasons why I think this style of preaching is best. First, expository preaching through whole books of the Bible doesn't allow a teacher to pass over certain passages of the Bible that they don't like or that they think are too hard to understand. Second, it prevents them from solely focusing on their own hobby horses. Third, it gives to the congregation the, the full scope of God's message. And fourth, typically books of the Bible work like a grand story. For example, to, to, to fully understand Mark chapter 13, which by the way is a very, very difficult text, one must first have a firm grasp on what happened in chapters 1 through 12. Our, our Sunday school class could attest to this. What, what expository preaching does is, is it allows for a person to know the greater story so that when they come to those difficult passages, the light bulb will turn on. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time and a place for topical messages, too. But, but this should be the exception and not the norm. All right, let's, let's review. Paul charged Titus to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine or healthy instruction. Today we went over the, the two source questions that you must be asking about anyone's teaching, including my own. Where does the teaching originate? And is the teaching consistent with the whole of the Bible? Why is this so important? Because what you believe affects the way you live now and where you will live later. Doctrine shapes your behavior and it determines your, your eternal destiny. Dear friends, false teaching it strikes at two essential doctrines. Who God is and how God saves. The reason people either run to a source other than the Bible or try to twist God's word is to undermine one or both of these teachings. God wants you to know who he is and what he has done. He wants you to know about his son, Jesus, who is both fully man and fully God, that he lived a sinless life and that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead three days later and now sits victorious at the right hand of the Father. He wants you to know about his Holy Spirit who regenerates your heart, giving you faith to believe in this good news. This is why you need to know your Bibles. 
So, so that that message will be ingrained within you. So that you will not be led astray, but will have discernment to know what is true and what is false. So that you will live godly lives and receive eternal life. So that you will be sound in the faith. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. May we understand it more and more as we progress in our sanctification. Help us to avoid other sources that challenge your authority. We ask that that your word would would shape our lives and and point us to your son who, who died for our sins. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. Guide us into all truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.